Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible's open up to Ephesians chapter 5, and that's where I would invite you to be opening up a Bible to as well. We're going to read from there momentarily. We're actually going to stitch together two passages that will help to frame up everything that we want to talk about from the Word of God, and Ephesians chapter 5 is going to be the first of those. It is a beautiful Lord's Day morning here in South Central Kentucky, and there is much to be thankful for, even in the midst of a of a global pandemic, and I don't know about you, but I am choosing to focus on those good things, those positive things, uh, because when we focus on that, that helps to provide the fuel that we need to bring praise and worship and honor to God on this His day. I hope you've got your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's read together in Ephesians 5. This is verse 25. In Ephesians 5 verse 25, there Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Now, hold that thought and turn over with me to Titus. In Titus chapter 2, Paul's already told us that husbands are to love their wives. Now he says in Titus chapter 2 that older women need to teach younger women, they need to train younger women to love, verse 4, to love their husbands and their children. Now... It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what the connecting thread is in those two passages. The connecting thread is love. And more specifically, it is love in marriage. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to love their husbands. This is a reciprocal relationship where both parties are demonstrating love one for another. Yet, yet even as the Bible is giving us that clear command... There is the reality that many of us, I think, have come to realize, and that is that these verses are a whole lot easier said than done. Love, biblically speaking, is a challenge. It is. It's a big challenge. We're not always entirely sure what that's supposed to look like or how we're supposed to do that. Not to mention, there's a lot of different layers to love biblically. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Man, there's like more than a dozen different descriptions there of what real biblical love looks like. Somebody says, well, well, maybe if we had an example in the Bible of, of a married couple who demonstrated love to one another, then maybe we could, we could read about them, we could observe them, and then we could, we could do what they did. We could follow in their example. And there's lots of couples in the Bible. There's Adam and Eve. There's Abraham and Sarah, jump all the way to the New Testament. There's Aquila and Priscilla, the list goes on. But the only problem is, none of those couples did that love thing perfectly. All of those examples fall short in some way to one degree or another because because they are imperfect creatures. And so this morning, if the preacher is going to get up and he's going to talk about love in the marriage relationship, and the preacher is doing that today, As we return to our preaching theme here at Lakeside for 2020 on marriage matters, then the question is, where could we go in the Bible to find a simple and at the same time perfect example of what that love ought to look like in its execution? Well, this morning I'm going to suggest to you that that perfect example that we are looking for is God Himself. Because this morning, we want to learn to love like God loves. And while that might seem like an awfully tall order, I believe that we can actually keep that fairly simple by turning to what is arguably the most famous verse in all of the Bible. 
Would you find John chapter 3 and verse number 16? In John chapter 3 and in verse 16, I'm going to guess you've probably never thought of John 3.16 as a marriage passage. I can't ever remember hearing John 3.16 at a wedding ceremony. And let's be clear, John 3.16 primarily is a salvation passage. But what John 3.16 does for us is it provides a perfect and a very simple picture of what real love ought to look like. Because what we're looking at in John 3 verse 16 is we're looking at the love of God. God is showing us in this beloved passage what love really means. Husbands, wives, would you find it helpful if God showed you how to love your spouse? I'll tell you this, you're not going to get an accurate portrait of what love looks like by looking at or listening to the world. Our world, our culture is very confused about that. Our culture is very confused about marriage in general. They don't even know who can get married. So I don't want to be taking my cues from the world, which is why I and you, if we want to know what real love is, pure love, then we're going to need to learn that from the one who first loved us. And this morning... I want to share with you three ideas, just right out of the Word of God, right out of John 3.16, that will help us to show the love of God in marriage. And by the way, even if you're not married this morning, please don't tune out. No, John 3.16 is actually going to be helpful for all of us. It will help everybody to understand principles of love for for every relationship, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your friendships, whether that's just in our love for our neighbor and our fellow man. Lots to learn about loving like God loves. And that begins with this very first truth, and that is this. That is that God's love is not, I repeat, it is not a feeling or an emotion. Can we just read that verse? I haven't even read it yet in John 3. Look at verse 16. John 3, 16. There the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the classic rendering of that verse. That's the memory verse that probably many of us grew up remembering. And it's a beautiful way of expressing that idea. I actually want to share with you how that's rendered in another translation. This is actually from the New Living Translation. The first part of that verse says this, For this is how God loved the world. For this is how God loved the world. I like that very much. Because it indicates to me that love is an action. This is the way that God showed that love. You know, so many people today, they think of love as a as a feeling... They think of it as an emotion. They think of it as some kind of gushy sentimentality, fireworks, feeling all a flutter. And so what we have as a result of that kind of thinking is we have people who fall in love. And of course, if you can fall in love, well, then that means that you can also fall out of love. And that means that we have lots of people in our society today whose marriages are in absolute shambles and in trouble. Because it all started with how two people felt. And now they don't feel that way anymore. And so now they're looking for someone else who will make them feel that way once again. That's not love. That's not what love is all about. That's not how God loves, and that is not the love of John chapter 3, verse 16. 
If you had asked God before He sent Jesus, Hey God, how do you feel about the world? I tell you this, it wouldn't have been hearts and valentines, would it? You want to know how God felt about the world before He gave Jesus? God felt terrible about the world. In fact, that's... That's what the remainder of the verse talks about. The world was in sin. The world was in rebellion. The verse to verse 16 says that the world was perishing. And that's why I am so glad that God's love is not a feeling. It's more than that. Instead, it is an active force that does, it acts for this is how God loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Let's mark it down. Real love. It is not merely a feeling. I think there's some feelings that are associated with love, but that's, that's not the definition of love. Real love is acting, it is doing, it is serving, it is giving, it is sacrificing. God sent Jesus here. That is an enormous sacrifice. In fact, Jesus came here to be the sacrifice. Can I step out of John for a second and borrow from Romans? Would you look in Romans chapter 5? In Romans chapter 5, look in verse 8, because Paul Paul kind of speaks in this exact same way. In Romans chapter 5 and in verse 8, Paul writes there, But God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see it there? This is an act of will. This is a determined plan to do. There is nothing here about some some surge of, of emotion that it spikes for a moment and then it quickly dissipates and dissolves. No. God's love does something. And I'm certainly not suggesting, even as I say all of this, I'm not suggesting that this means that God's love is, is cold or sterile. But I am saying this morning, in fact the Bible is saying this morning, that feelings are not the basis of God's love. And that is why, by the way, that is why we can make vows and promises in marriage. You ever thought about that? You can't vow feelings. Feelings come and go. Some days we say, I just don't feel like it. If Tiffany, if my wife, if she was to say, hey, do you feel like mowing the yard today? (laughs) No. Never. I'm never going to feel like doing that. Feelings fluctuate. You can't promise feelings. But a soldier in the armed forces, that soldier can take a vow to protect the Constitution in the United States. Or a doctor. A doctor can vow, promise the Hippocratic Oath to do no harm and to help others. In the same way, husbands and wives, we can't make promises about our feelings, but we can make promises about what we will do in the marriage relationship. And then, not only can we make those promises, but we can actually follow through on those promises. And so, here's the tough question. If you are married, and once upon a time you made some of those promises, you made some of those vows, then it's time to ask the tough question. Am I loving like God loves? Does my love cause me to act and to give and to sacrifice for my spouse? Am I doing, am I keeping the promises that I made to show my love to my spouse? You know, in John 3.16, if we learn nothing else this morning, it's that we don't want to go chasing after feelings. 
We instead want to do something because that's how, that's how God loves. Now, as I turn back to John chapter 3 and verse 16, what helps us now is we're able to get an up-close look at what that love does. Because there the text says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Maybe your translation says, His one and only Son. You know what that says to me? That says to me that when we talk about God's love, we're talking about something, secondly, that gives super abundantly. Super abundant giving. You know, what if that verse read, God so loved the world that He sent the angel Gabriel? Well, that'd be pretty cool. What if that verse said, for God so loved the world that He sent Moses? Well, that'd be pretty good too, I imagine. What if that verse said, God so loved the world that He sent Elijah and Jeremiah and Isaiah, the ultimate triple threat evangelism team? Yeah, that'd be amazing too. Those would all be really, really good gifts. But they wouldn't be enough, would they? Because what we needed is we needed a gift that is so immeasurable, so priceless, that it is hard for us to even wrap our minds around and conceive the super abundant gift that God's only Son truly is. You stop and imagine. Imagine if there was a plague... A plague across the entire world. And the reality is, you probably don't have to use your imagination very much for this illustration. But imagine that there is a worldwide plague and people are just dropping like flies from it. There is no recovering from it. There is no vaccine. There is no antidote for it. People are dying from this plague. And imagine that somehow, after a series of of tests and realizations, it comes to be found out that your child... That, that your son or that your daughter, they are the only person on the face of the entire planet who makes a certain kind of antibody in their body. And it is the antibody that everybody else needs because if everybody else doesn't get that, then we're all going to die. Everybody in the whole world is going to die. And imagine then that, that world leaders and leading scientists and health officials, they then come to you and they say, hey, we, we really need something from you. And you say, yeah, what do you need? How, how can I help out? Hey, let me get my checkbook. Let me write your check. I'm willing to pay whatever needs to be paid to help you guys with the research. And they say, no, 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 no. We don't need any money. That's not what we need. We need something that money can't buy. What we need are those antibodies. And the only way that we can get them is if you give us the life of your child. You know, I'm a father. And I think I speak on behalf of most every other father when I say that world civilization better not depend on me being willing to sacrifice one of my daughters. Because I'm not doing that. I'm not willing to give that much. But the truth is, God was. God was willing to do that. He gave His only begotten Son a super abundant gift beyond price and beyond measure. And interestingly, in the Bible, Jesus regularly commends people who understand that that is how love really acts. That love will go the second mile. In fact, love will go the second hundred mile. 
that love acts super abundantly. In fact, if you're here in John, just turn over a few pages to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, we have here Mary as she comes to Jesus. This is shortly before the Passover. And in fact, this is shortly before Jesus is going to be arrested and be taken to the cross. And we're told in John chapter 12 and in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of expensive ointment, very expensive ointment, and it was made from pure nard and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of that perfume. Wow. That was a super abundant gift. Notice the contrast though in the very next verse, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Let's be honest in our marriages. Sometimes in marriage we're a lot less like Mary and we're oftentimes a lot more like Judas where everything is counted and measured in dollars and in cents. Oh, He never brings me flowers. Well, you know what? Have you stopped and looked at how much flowers cost, woman? Those things are an arm and a leg. You know, we never go anywhere. We never do anything together. Well, you know what? We don't need to be going on some big impractical trip. What we need is we need a new garbage disposal. There's never any sacrifice. There's never any going above and beyond the call of duty. There's never the kind of super abundant giving that makes John 3.16 so powerful. And I want to emphasize once again, this is not about feelings. This is a determined act of will. As I go back to John chapter 3, the gospel even says a little bit more about that. Drop on down to verse 19. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, the text goes on to say that the world, the world loved darkness... Because the world hated the light. The world hated Jesus. And yet despite that, God gave super abundantly anyway. God did not say, alright, I'll try to meet these people halfway. Hey, is there an angel around here that isn't doing anything and that we could just spare? I'll just send an angel down there. No. No, what God did was He sent the most incredible gift of all time. It was extravagant, dare I say. It was super generous in its giving. Right now, if I was to, to ask all of the married people everywhere who are listening to me, if I were to ask all the married people to raise your hand if in the last seven days you have done something, you have acted on behalf of your spouse, you've gave in some way, how many hands would be raised? Well, hopefully all the hands would be raised. Hopefully you've done something for your spouse. But if I then asked how many people in the last seven days have given super abundantly for their spouse? Who in the last seven days has made a sacrifice for their spouse? How many hands would still be raised? I'm afraid that my hand actually would not be raised. I recently heard about a husband whose wife... She loves country music. And she loves to go to Branson, Missouri to watch the country music shows there. And they are an elderly couple. They are an aged couple. And the husband, the husband is mostly deaf. He cannot hear. And yet, despite that, he takes his wife to Branson twice every year. Why? Because she wants to go. He makes a super abundant sacrifice for her. 
Because He loves her. If you love your spouse with a John 3.16 type of love, then what you need to ask, what I need to be asking is, what am I giving? And then secondly, what am I giving in a super abundant way to the one that I love? Which means that thirdly and finally, we need to be focusing on what is needed, what our spouse needs. Because as I turn back to John chapter 3 and verse 16, what we learn there about God's love is that God's love meets our needs. Would you notice verse 16 again? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You see what the problem was for us? The problem for us was we were perishing. And so God could have said, you know, I I know what I'm going to give to those people down there. I'm going to send an angelic choir to come down there and sing to them on Sundays. Well, that'd be a pretty neat gift. I think that'd be pretty amazing. I'd like to see an angelic choir in person, but you know what? That isn't really what we need. Or God could have said, hey, I I know what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to dig up some of these gold bricks that are lining the streets of heaven. We're going to dig some of those gold bricks up and we're going to send those down to those people. And we're going to distribute these big heavenly gold bricks to people so that every man, woman, and child, they can be multi-millionaires. Hey, that'd be pretty cool too. But that's not what we need. What we need was someone who would come and help us with our sin problem. We needed someone who could reconcile us back to God. We needed someone who could provide us with the way to God. And that, that is the reason that God gave His Son. Yes, it was an act of God's will. Yet it was a super abundant gift. And most important of all, it was exactly the gift that you and I needed. In fact, that's the very next verse in John chapter 3. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. God gave us what we needed. Have you ever taken, um, have you ever taken a four-year-old little girl to Walmart to try and buy a birthday present for a four-year-old little boy? Um, I've had that experience. That's happened to me a couple years ago. And that really is an exciting sort of occasion because the first thing you know, you're over here looking at the dolls. And she's saying, oh, Daddy, I just love this doll. Isn't this just the cutest, prettiest little doll you've ever seen? We need to buy this doll. Hey, uh, honey, I'm, I'm not so sure that Billy really wants or needs a doll. Oh, well, look over here. Look at this. Look at this tea set. There's this pure pink little tea set. You can just sit down and you can have tea parties and all. We, we, need, we need to get that little tea set. Honey, do you know that Billy is a boy? He's not a little girl. He's a boy. There's never been a day in his four-year-old life when he's thought to himself, Man, I need a tea set to sit down and have tea with my dolls. No, that's never going to happen. Come on, we need to go over to the next aisle where the you know, toy cars are and the, the rubber snakes. That's where we need to go. But I don't want to get him a snake. See? You see what the problem is? Pretty early on, we learn and we decide that what's most important to us, well, that must be what's most important to everybody else. We do that, we do that when we're little. But the truth of the matter is, we do that even when we're grown. That carries on into our adulthood. 
And that kind of thinking sometimes even carries on into marriage. You know, it's just so obvious what you need. You need whatever it is that I need. You need what I like and what I want. That isn't how real love operates. Not according to John 3.16, it doesn't. This is a love that sees what you need and then reaches out to give that in a super abundant way. Even if giving that is inconvenient, even if it is hard to do, and even if that is not even what the giver wanted at all. And I need you to know this morning that God, He didn't need to send His Son. We're the ones who needed that. We're the ones who desperately needed that gift. In fact, that's Romans 5 again. Can we go back there? In Romans 5, can we look at that whole section all together? In Romans 5, pick up in verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Thank God that He did not send us gold bricks. Thank God that He did not send us an angelic choir. That's not what we needed. What we needed was Jesus to be the one-time sacrifice for sin. What we needed was to be justified by the blood of Christ. What we needed was the death of God's Son to be saved. What we needed in a word was Jesus. And that's exactly what God gave us. And what that helps us to see for our marriages is that we got to do a shift in focus we got to get focused on our spouse and not on ourselves. Do you know what your spouse needs? You know, honey, the preacher preached on superabundant giving today and uh, I went out and I bought you this really extravagant shotgun. Ah, you've missed it, brother. Husbands, do you know what your wife needs? Wives, Do you know what your husband needs? Truth of the matter is, the answer to that question, it probably doesn't even involve a credit card or money or going into debt. Because what most marriages need, in fact, what most marriages are lacking sorely in, what most spouses want is you. You, your time, your energy, your interest, your participation, maybe even just your presence. You, that's what your spouse needs. spouse needs you to, to turn off the television. Your spouse needs you to log off of Facebook and put the phone down. Your spouse needs you to, to, to rearrange your work schedule so that you're not at the office for a hundred zillion hours a week. Your spouse needs you to just be with them totally and fully and in every way. And that is often... Very often, the abundant gift that most marriages need. And if you're going to love your spouse the way that John 3.16 says that God loves us, then that's where we need to be led in asking the question, 
How can I meet my spouse's needs? This is an act of will that embodies everything that John 3.16 is trying to teach us. And so, maybe, maybe instead of seeing those posters of John 3.16 at the sporting events, we see those quite often being held up at ball games and sporting events, maybe what needs to happen is we need to hold up those big posters that say John 3.16 at wedding ceremonies. Maybe that would be the best place to start seeing some of that. Because that verse tells us more about love than anything that our society and our culture can ever say. And in fact, that verse in John 3.16, it maybe tells us more about love than any of the rest of the verses in the Bible could say. Because it is teaching us about the love of God. How it acts. How it acts super abundantly. And how it acts by giving us what we need. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen if in your marriage, if you used God's love as the template for how you love your spouse? Can you imagine what that would be like? What a blessing John 3.16 can be, not only into the saving of our souls, but also to the health and to the vitality of our marriages. Would you bow with me and pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God, we come before you this day thanking you so much for the power of your word and for the opportunity to study from it. Father, we come confessing that many times we are just very short-sighted in our love. We adopt the standards and the ideas of the world around us. And Father, we're asking you to forgive us of those shortcomings and those failures. Help us, Lord, to turn to you and to understand what real love ought to look like. And then, Father, we pray that you give us the courage and give us the strength to implement that in our own lives and in how we love others. Thank you so much for showing us what true love is. We ask a blessing upon our marriages. We pray that you will help us as husbands and as wives to demonstrate that kind of love one to another always, the love that you've so graciously shown to us. We thank you most of all for your Son, for the gracious gift in Him, and for His willingness to be just the perfect, super abundant gift that we so desperately needed. And it is in His name that we offer this prayer. And amen.